Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. Turns out to be like cracked nipples and lots of money spent. What fresh hell. Laughing in the face of motherhood. Somebody picking up the pacifier from the ground. With Margaret Abels and Amy Wilson. Yeah, you could have good days and bad days on the same day. A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas. So you don't have to. Somebody else is more important. Hello, everyone, and welcome to What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And today we're talking about whether kids make us happy. (laughs) Spoiler (laughs) alert. (laughs) I'm thinking maybe not so much. Short answer is kind of. I'm bringing the research today and the studies and the... Well, there was a famous study a while back that found that kids objectively make people less happy while they're in the house. There are studies of this, there are studies of that. But yes, there was a famous study. It's like, wait, they don't make us happy. And I think as we're going to discover, the pain is in the gap. The pain is in the clear understanding that we are given that kids make you happy. The kids are going to give you a happiness like you've never known before. And then when it's more complicated than that, you feel horrible about that, thinking that you're the only person, you're not the only person feeling complicated about how your life changes. As I've said before, you think it's going to be Jesus delivering you baby happiness down the happiness rainbow, and it turns out to be like cracked nipples and lots of money spent (laughs) and a lot of crying on both people's parts. It's the angel. I'm listening to Angela's Ashes right now in Audible, which I thoroughly recommend. Uh, Frank McCourt, you know, telling his own stories of like, and if you need a little perspective and like, you think you have it bad, you're not Angela with like six kids and they're all dying of consumption. But he thinks that the angel comes in the night and leaves a baby on the seventh step. And that's, Mm. (laughs) I think sometimes our idea of how it's going to be and how our lives are going to change and we're going to achieve unlock level, you know, eight happiness is not, you know, much more well thought out than that. But we are told that. Also, I will point out while we're on the depressing, you know, early death of children subject, Amy, <laughs> that I just saw someone posting, you know, kind of weird historical changes in facts last night on Twitter. And one of them was that the mortality rate for kids under five in 1800 was 46%. And today it is 0.7%. Like the whole idea of like you would have 10 children because five of them had a pretty low chance of surviving statistically that the idea of parenting has changed so much because of that. I think that like it used to be like we have a farm, we need 12 
kids to work the farm and that kids were kind of like a gamble in a way. And I think our generation was raised to see children in a very different way that like children are this fulfillment of your life's destiny who come into your life and make everything perfect. I do think that's a newer idea. Well, I guess maybe it is. I mean, it's a sort of hallmarkification and everything that you have kids because you want to and not because you have to so that your fields will get plowed is what you're saying. Correct. And certainly, I'm not saying that people in the 1800s didn't absolutely mourn the death of children, and but that it just, the roles of all of this in our lives were completely different. I mean, I talked to people, you know, I just think the sort of Instagram, like me and my little best friend, she's the person I looked up to most in the world about people's five-year-olds. I do sometimes look at that, and it's fine if that's how you feel and you want to express yourself, but I do sometimes look at that and think, We've come a long way in a hundred years. My, you know, I mean, my grandmother was would never have described any of her children as her best friend. You know, they're just a different role. And then therefore higher expectations put on it. Like Correct. we get to enjoy them, but then we have to enjoy them, right? There's the rub. That's right. We are so attached to kids because we have the luxury of being so attached mm. because we have an expectation that they will be with us until we die. And that has really changed the game in terms of what our relationship with them is. So I got the idea for this episode because there was an article in The Atlantic, Paul Bloom. He has a new book out called The Sweet Spot. And he wrote, it's an excerpt from his book that's in The Atlantic. And it's called What Becoming a Parent Really Does to Your Happiness. And he sort of frames the question. Can I read you how he frames it? Because I think this is useful. Please do. He says, as you said before, some of the most prominent scholars in the field have argued that if you want to be happy, it's better to be childless. Others push back, pointing out that a lot depends on who you are and where you live. But a bigger question, Paul Bloom says, is also at play. What if the rewards of having children are different from and also deeper than happiness? Like, what if we're chasing the wrong thing? It doesn't matter if they make us happy because we get something else out of it that's more important. Agree, although I would, I'm slightly wary of the phrase deeper than, because I think that a comparison between having kids and not having kids is fraught and probably unknowable in a very fundamental sense. I remember having a conversation, we did an episode a while ago called Friends Without Kids, I believe it was called. My friend Candy Fight was on the episode with me and she doesn't have kids. And we were talking about how there's this argument that having kids is kind of touching the full human experience. Right. And we were joking that that's why when she's enjoying brunch, I like to call her and scream, you're not having the full human experience. You know, you're not sitting at a table with eight crying kids. You're just enjoying mimosas with your wife and having a great day. And I think that, I don't know, that the comparison between, you know, not having kids and having kids is knowable, I guess. No, no, I, I don't think it's a comparison between having kids and not having kids is a comparison between what are we chasing when we have kids? Yes. Like, why do we have this deep pull to have kids? And those who report satisfaction from having kids, is satisfaction different from happiness? That's what he's getting at. It is. Not, is it better to have than to not? Is there a satisfaction that exists that's different from happiness? I think it is. And so, what is it? And, you know, most importantly, why don't kids always make us happy and what gets in the way of that and sort of exploring that is worthwhile because it's something we don't talk about. Yeah. And I think this is like the classic late night college dorm kind of conversation. Like, is the point of life to be happy or is the point of life something other than happiness? Is it to be, you know, to find 
depth of experience to find service to others, those things aren't, they may be in direct contrast to happiness sometimes. You've heard the saying, you're only as happy as your unhappiest child, right? I have. It haunts me. That's right up there with enjoy every moment as, you know, the thing you've heard a hundred times. So it's funny that the both of those things exist because that's certainly true that kids are sort of our greatest source of stress. There's a book called All Joy and No Fun. Oh, I love that book. I would love to get her on the podcast. It's such a good book. Jennifer Singer. She's actually, you know, she's an author who writes about all sorts of different things, not just parenting. So she's written, you know, books on completely other topics since then. But this book, she cites research that... What's her name, the author? Jennifer Senior. Jennifer Senior. Yeah, we should shout her out because that book is fantastic. It's fantastic. Anyway, she has research in a book which shows that children provoke a couple's most frequent arguments, more than about money, work, in-laws, you're annoying, you know, you're not committed, intimacy, whatever kids are the number one thing that couples fight about. As uh, the kids like to say to me, that tracks. <laughs> yeah, every once in a while, my husband and I will turn to each other during moments such as this and think, isn't it funny that people have kids to try to save their marriage? Like, can you imagine? Like, yes. What a poor choice that must be. Yes. And, and what a disservice we do as a society to be like, I know what will fix this. A tiny bundle of joy left <laughs> in the seventh step. No. No. I mean, it does. One thing I will tell you. It can. It binds you to that other person for the rest of your life, for sure. Right. Deepens your relationship, but doesn't necessarily happify. It connects you forever in a way that not many other things do. Yeah. So Jean Twenge, she's somebody whose research I really like. She usually looks at these days, looks at like teenagers and phones and social media. And that's her sort of billowick now. But she did a, a study on this like 20 years ago and found that parents reported lower marital satisfaction than non-parents. Correct. But also the more kids you had, <laughs> the more great that discrepancy became that actually parents of three children were less happy than parents of two children. Hashtag, I believe. Yeah. Like, I don't want to engage with the truth of that statement because it's true. You're only as happy as your unhappiest kid. And when you've got three kids, there's always somebody who's, you know, not living their best life for reasons you can and can't control. My brother once said to me, my brother, parent of four children, asked me how it was going with my first baby. And I said, there are good days and bad days. And he said, you should have more kids because then you can have good days and bad days on the same day. Wow. And it rings in my head to this very day. Like That's profound. Yeah, you could have good days and bad days on the same day. And this is the thing. I do think that one gift I have as a parent, I'm wary because, you know, my sister always says when you say something about yourself, inevitably the opposite is true. But I believe this is true about myself. I think, is the correct word sanguine? Like, yes. I have a certain realism that I inherited from my mom. When I called my mother to tell her I was pregnant with my third, she made this sound. Ugh. Like she was like, that's not going to be great. You know, I was pregnant with my third child in four years. <laughs> but I would say that's not sanguine. That reaction is not sanguine. Well, sanguine means what? That you're like... It means like, oh, it'll be fine. Like, okay, that's good. Yeah. Happy-go-lucky. But it leads to a certain sanguineness. Now I'm really butchering the word. <laughs> <A> sanguininity. Sanguinous. <laughs> because I feel like my mother did not imbue me at all with a sense of like, Jesus brings the angel baby down the rainbow to make you happy. My mom was very like, she had had a big career. She had kids in her 30s. 
And she was kind of like, yeah, those kids are kind of a pain. And, and then they got older and my mom and I had a great relationship and she was an awesome parent. But she was very, what's the word I'm looking for, Amy? Like She was clear eyed. She was clear eyed, very clear eyed about it. And I feel like that was a gift to have that I did not have an expectation. I mean, she really was like, I mean, I was 37 when I started having kids. I was pregnant again at 40 with my third. I wanted to have a couple of kids. I thought I wanted to maybe have four, but I kind of ran out of time. But she was sort of like, yeah, that's going to be real rough for the first two years. I did it. And it's she truly like when people say, how was it having three little kids? She's like, it was one of the worst experiences (laughs) of my life. Now, would she trade any of us in? No. Would she go back and undo it? No. Like the payoff in the very long run was good. But she was very clear eyed about the fact that the experience of having three kids in four years was extremely depressing and painful for her. And I really appreciated that perspective. I think it's important to say for those who are listening, who are truly in the salt mine years, which is a lot of people listening right now, we are always sort of team, it gets better and this gets better. And the studies bear this out that a parent who is experiencing dissatisfaction is way more likely to be experiencing that when their baby is two months old than when their baby is 12 years old. It's hardest in the beginning Because the change is the greatest, and that's when the likelihood for some dissatisfaction is also the greatest. So if you're feeling this and your baby's six weeks old, that doesn't mean you're a terrible person, and that doesn't mean that you will never feel happy again. That's what I'm saying about my mom's perspective that was such a gift to me. I didn't feel like a terrible person. I was like, oh, here it is, the thing I've been primed to expect, which is that this kind of stinks, And that that's okay. It's totally okay for it to stink. And now I have three kids who are close in age, who get along. I was just saying to my husband the other day, took my one of my kids to the city to watch the marathon the other day. We had a great time together, you know? And then we came home and my husband and the boys were working on a project together. Our life is really good now. But I was glad that I did not expect those first years to be like heaven on earth, because guess what? They weren't. Yes, There's a lot of reasons why you can become less happy when you have kids, that that's normal. Can we talk about what those are when we come back? Please, let's. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses. First two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist-approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we say? and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. 
Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different and fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E, lumen.me, and use the code Fresh at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. Amy, solve it for me. Come on. You said you've got it. Well, it's not so much the solve it as like, see if these things, you know, ring true for you, why you might become actually less happy after you have kids. <laughs> They're going to ring true, but go ahead anyway. In the 1950s, there is a study by Dr. E.E. E. Lamasters that really shaped everything that came afterwards, where he posited that an arrival of a new family member in a system forces reorganization of that system and creates a crisis for which the old patterns are inadequate. I would say less so with every child. Agree or disagree? Yeah, I would. I would. I think zero to one is the most crazy, like what? Right. It's the most seismic shift. People have pushed back on me, but I, when people talk about going from two kids to three kids, I feel like it was practically unnoticeable in our household. But going from zero to one was the most painful transition of my life. Yes, because your freedom is very suddenly restricted in a way that it's like, it's even maybe it's 7% more restrictive when you have two little kids at home instead of one. But having that newborn, it just immediately changes your life in huge ways. And it, it forces change. And maybe it was better the way it was in some ways. Yeah. And I mean, I've talked about this before. I was older. I had a pretty good life. I was living in Hollywood. I was working as a writer. I had a lot of disposable income. I spent my nights like at bars, meeting cute boys and eating delicious meals and hanging out with hilarious comics and like laughing. My I was walking through the city the other day and they now have because of COVID these like outdoor, what do you call them? They're like little huts kind of outdoor, all the bars. So you can eat outdoors. You know, they're like little outdoor structures. Yes, I'm aware. Yes. Okay. Shanty is a, some of them are shanties and some of them are actually quite pretty. Yeah. But basically it means that a lot of people are socializing on the sidewalk versus, you know, being inside of a bar. And it was a beautiful warm night. And I was getting like joy chills mixed with like, take me back, yeah. you know, like I kind of was like, oh my God, those nights of like, being young and cute and out and, you know, cute boys and who you're going to kiss. It's so exciting. And then like, you know, I was home breastfeeding kids for four years. My career kind of dried up. I mean, I really did get cast out of paradise in a lot of ways yeah. and into the land of like, you know, somebody else is more important. Yeah. My husband kind of trudging off to work and the two of us being kind of like, you take the baby and I'll take the this. You know, we weren't having not a lot of romance, not a lot of excitement, a lot of like cute baby giggles. But I can't say they filled my cup in quite the same way as those like fun nights at bars. Well, I want to get to the relationship. But first, I want to say to state what is obvious once you think about it, that single parents 
report, if you become a single parent for the first time and you're doing this all yourself, your happiness when your child is very young is even more likely to take a hit because of the huge change and reorganization that this has caused in your life, lack of freedom, financial strain, all those things. And isolation, because I don't know that I would have guessed that correctly, because I feel like the marital discord is kind of a big part of what makes you unhappy. But I guess the isolation and the aloneness and the uphill battle is hard. Or like, my spouse doesn't do enough to help with the baby. Like, oh, you have somebody who ever helps with the baby 1%? Like, (laughs) must be nice. That's shocking and fun for you. Yes. But in a two-parent household, that the arrival of a child can exacerbate some patterns of inequality. You've noticed that, Amy, have you? Some say. (laughs) Some say. Some say that those patterns of inequality can be exacerbated. And of course, they're exacerbated by like women have breasts. If you're breastfeeding, that's being forced, you know, biologically on you. But there are, you know, there are secondary consequences to that. Yeah. I also think there are seasons in life and that I have found seasonal change difficult writ large and in metaphorical terms that like Mm -hmm. giving up myself who was wearing cool clothes and going out and being fun and this is a different season to be like the mom and I still find that challenging and difficult on a lot of different levels but There is a part, as you say, the pain being in the gap, that accepting the joy of this role seems to me to be the most key part of this, because I don't want to leave people with the impression of like, I had a good life and then I had children and ruined it. Like, I will say that there are many ways in which the calmness and the settledness and the knowing what's nextness of my life are much better for me. My mental health feels to me a thousand times stronger than it was when I was that young, like fun person. There's a lot that like, if I had to be like, am I happier now or then? I think I would say I'm happier now. Oh, yeah, I would too. But we've come a long way, right? Since, you know, diapers everywhere. And and I was happy then, believe me. I had days when I wanted to throw things and there were days when I was, you know, there was both, but it isn't 100% all the time. I wasn't happy then. I was um, excited sometimes. I was delighted sometimes. I was many things, but I definitely wasn't happy. I've told the story before of going to visit the house where I had my kids in Los Angeles after being away for several years and thinking that I was going up to have the experience of like, misty watercolored memories. And I walked up to the front door and the feeling that washed over me was like, terror, like Shawshank level, like I cannot believe. I mean, it was this 800 square foot house, you know, and just I did not have the feeling looking back on it of like, oh, the good old days. I was like, wow, those were bad old days. And I'm really glad they're done. So the, you know, the dip in happiness is most pronounced in mothers of small kids, much more pronounced than mothers of older kids. And it's more pronounced than in men in the studies that have been done. And I'll link to them in the show notes for this article. The happiness dip effect remains smaller in males across the ages of their children. And for women, it's pretty marked when the baby is very young. And then it kind of bounces back. But there were two things, to go back to something you said before, there were two things that seemed to help the happiness of women with very young children. Okay, you should have told me then, but let's hit me now. Well, they were both around expectations. You said something about like you were prepared because you had proper expectations. There was a study in 2016 
California State University, it found the first one's a little sad and the second one is happy. Mothers with lower expectation about how the division of labor would go after the baby was born had greater relationship satisfaction three months postpartum. If they were very realistic and had low expectations of how it was going to go for them and how much they were going to have to take on, they were happier afterwards than if they had high expectations. That's the sad one? That's a little sad. It's like, as long as you have low expectations, you won't be too sad when those low expectations are met. Let's switch the words for realistic expectations. I feel like my husband and I had a really, I had had a writing career that was dead in the water when I got pregnant. And I kind of made the deal with my husband. Okay, I don't care if you love or hate your job, you're staying at it and working. And that may be your, I mean, you may like it, you may be miserable, but like that's your garden to tend. And I'm going to be home with the kids and that's my garden to tend. And some days I'll get to go to the zoo with my friend and have a beer in the afternoon and that'll be fun. And some days your job will stink, but you'll get to get away from the kids. Like I do feel like we had very realistic expectations about what it was going to look like. Yeah. And to shine a spotlight just for a second on the working parent, if there's one parent in the household who works, there are stresses that come with the baby being born, financial stresses, everybody feels them. And the working parent, the parent who's bringing home the paycheck, if only one parent is, there's stresses involved in that and being able to provide that I don't want to ignore. For sure. And I think it can look, certainly there were days where my husband came home and the house was a mess and I was like, we're ordering Chinese food for dinner. And I'm sure that it looked to him like I had been kind of sitting around and watching Law and Order marathons all day, which I might have <laughs> been doing, honestly. <laughs> but the kids were there. They were there somewhere. They were, the kids were alive and that was my job done. Well, go back to the other thing that made actually new mothers happier in studies. So the, if the first one was having realistic expectations about how the postnatal division of labor was going to go, the second one was getting more help than they expected. If they had low expectations, they were actually exceeded and they got more help Then they also reported higher levels of happiness than somebody who was like, I thought this was going to be hard, but it's even harder than I thought. Mm. You mean help from their spouse or just help from randos? It didn't say, but it lets to say, yes, <laughs> randos. Just a person knocking on the door. Somebody picking up the pacifier from the ground. Yes, I think spouses is the understood thing or, you know, neighbors, whatever. Somebody for whom the lift was a little bit less than they had feared. Of course. I literally, at some point when I was living in LA, I was sitting on my stoop with the kids just hating life. And a woman was standing outside of my house waiting to pick her kid up from the high school across the street and she was like hey i'm really good with kids and i was like great what's your phone number and she started helping me with my kids and it was a total rando who helped me with my kids it was mary poppins yeah we're still friends to this day and her kids are now all grown but her kids were high schoolers they babysat she helped me with all sorts of different stuff it takes a village yeah it takes a willingness to scream to a rando on the street hey are you good with kids and them saying (laughs) yes and then it all works out amy So the other thing that's really marked is that the support of society, like paid leave, healthcare policies, things like that actually affect happiness. And this is why the U.S. ranks so low. Yes. The country with the single greatest happiness drop after you have children is United States of America, the United States. The happiest parents are from Norway and Hungary, where in Norway, they let their babies sleep outside. We're all about the hashtag Danish baby lifestyle. Yes. But it's not just that. And it's not just the Huga. It's that they have all kinds of support and policies in place to protect new parents and support them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, very understandable and true. And when parents are expected to take leave, paternity leave, family leave, 
it's a game changer and we don't have it. My husband, I mean, he takes a beating on this one every time we talk about it. And I don't really blame him because he worked at a company where he was not top dog and he had to do it. But I had my baby on a Thursday into Friday and he went back to work on Monday. And that was the last day he took off regarding the baby. Oh, what? That's crazy. But I don't think it's that uncommon. And no, it's not. It's outrageous and it is totally common. I don't think there was any real expectation that like this was 13 years ago now. This conversation was like, I mean, it was never really even considered that he would not. And I will say you're at the whim of I had a kid who was hospitalized this week. My son had an emergency appendectomy. My husband was away on a business trip. And I knew he was doing stuff that was kind of time sensitive and urgent. And I said, but I was home alone with three kids, one who needed an overnight in the hospital. And I was sort of like, uh, do you think you can come back? And he said, well, of course I'm coming back. And I guess his boss was very much like, okay, you have to go back. But yeah. I didn't really even take it for granted that he would be able to come home with our kid in the hospital. It was an appendectomy. It wasn't like, you know, something that was life threatening. And but I do think that like I have an expectation that my spouse, because of the work he does and his role at that work and the fact that he's, you know, a certain space in that hierarchy, I have an expectation that he's not available. Yeah. And I think that's pretty normal for people, you know. I do too. I want to give a shout out. There's a website called learningmotherhood.co. If you're returning to work, parental leave, navigating sort of what's available to you, sort of officially what's available to you from our society, but also, you know, support groups and things that you might not know about that are available to make all of this easier. I want to give a shout out to that website because it has tons of great resources because we do deserve better. Yeah. And I want to say that, like, as I'm reflecting that these were our realities, I hope going forward that they're not the realities for everybody. I am pro paid parental leave. I think people should have more flexible work schedules. And I really think post pandemic, we've learned some lessons about how we can work more flexibly and not just like punching the clock 40 to 60 hours a week. And I hope that that is part of our future. And parental leave for dads too, not just moms. Let's move beyond, right? That's what I mean. Yeah. Parental leave. For all parents. For sure. I have some other ideas about how it can get better. <laughs> Let's hit them when we get back, Amy. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. So we agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used hero bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty-calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber, while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs, and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code MOTHERHOOD at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's 
H-E-R-O dot C-O and code MOTHERHOOD for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent with sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast. And now, reasons kids absolutely do make us happy. From the What Fresh Hell podcast. You now have a permanent alibi for events you'd rather not attend. Your cousin's destination wedding in Guam? Yeah, you're not going to that. Hitting up an amusement park and riding a hundred rides while stuffing yourself with churros without kids? A bad choice. With kids? A Saturday of solid parenting. Listen, when those kids are really fast asleep, you have to admit they're incredibly cute. Two words, people. Tax write-offs. If you are short on facts about dinosaurs, baseball statistics, or say the names and backstories of every single Harry Potter character, kids will fix that. You'll get to try out fun and exciting new jobs you may never have considered, like math tutor who doesn't really understand math, incompetent maid, and angry and reluctant Uber driver. On the one hand, sleepless nights, marital discord, and spending more money than you have. But on the other hand, unconditional love and small people who make you laugh harder than you ever thought possible. Oh, and the simple satisfaction of sustaining the human species. All yours, baby. This has been Reasons Kids Absolutely Do Make Us Happy. From the What Fresh Hell podcast. So before, when you were saying that you are, you know, sort of sanguine or at least clear-eyed, you know, you have your reality match your expectations and that was of a great help to you. Yes. But it's also kind of who you are and who your mother was. Correct. So this is... All of us have a happiness set point. And oh, I am obsessed with this topic yes. and this research, and I love it. This is You talked about this study, so we'll talk about this now. So we all have a happiness set point, and the you know theories and studies behind it show that kind of, to a great extent, no matter what happens to you, you are a glass half full or glass half empty kind of person, and you're going to return to that baseline almost regardless of what happens to you. So there is correct. So I'll give you an example, which is like your happiness set point. They're not as specific as this, but let's say happiness is a scale of one to 10. And you're like, your normal set point is a seven. This is not how they describe it, but it helps me think about it. If you get in a horrible accident and you end up paralyzed, your happiness set point will go down to a two for a certain amount of time as you deal with the injuries, as you deal with setting up your new life. And then you will return to a seven at some point. Similarly, if you win $100 million in the lottery, your happiness set point will briefly spike up to a 10, but then you'll return to a seven. That like, what's interesting is that happiness we think of as an external factor and it's really an internal factor. And it's very, very hard to change. I thought that those, I'd heard that, you know, explanation and I had thought those examples were hypothetical, but they're not. They did a study in 1971 where they actually studied two groups of people, one who won lotteries and two who had been in horrible accidents that, you know, resulted in paraplegic and quadriplegic injuries. And 
those very extreme sounding examples are in fact the case, at least in this study, that people kind of, you know, they kind of went back up. The cranky lottery winner was still cranky five years later. And there's two examples of things. One that raises your happiness long term, which I just engaged in. And let me tell you, I'm feeling it. Making happy plans far in advance. Yes. Our family just booked a trip to Disney World where we've never been. We're going once in our lifetime. We were supposed to go before the pandemic. And we've been kind of like, we should do it. We should do it. Anyway, we just put it on the calendar, booked it and bought the tickets. And I already feel that my overall happiness set point is higher. And one of the things that permanently like lowers your happiness set point is bad commuting. So if you have a grinding commute every single day, it pulls your number down. And I guess something about the commute would be the sort of, because if you're home with an infant, you don't have a bad commute, but there is a sort of groundhog day, inescapable, this is how it is now feeling that really would lower your set point. Yeah. But it's temporary. This can kind of make it sound like, well, there's no point in trying to be happier because you just are who you are. And that's not necessarily true because, of course, so this was done in, in 1971, this study of the lottery winners and the people who were hit by cars and how they all, you know, they are who they are. They're, they're either happy or they're not. So since then, this theory has been sort of complicated. And there's a study that shows that you have a bunch of different factors that affect your happiness. And sometimes they can move in different directions. Like you can win the lottery and at the same time be going through a divorce, right? And those are affecting you. Or you can win the lottery and it can mess up your whole relationship with your sure. family. Like I think the things that you think are going to make you happy aren't. And I'm glad you're saying this because always when I read these books, hear these studies that are like the nine ways your Neanderthal self defines you. It's like someone just made this up. Like none of this is actually True. You know, I mean, your happiness set point is not your destiny and it can be changed. I mean, I don't, I find these things fascinating to think about, but I don't like to over lean into them because I actually don't believe in them as a principle. Well, well, it occurs to me that like this would sort of undercut, like if there is a happiness set point and it doesn't matter, then why are we worried about whether kids make us happy? Because eventually you'll come back to your set point. Because one of the things that lowers your happiness set point is having children. But not but not permanently, according to this theory, which would be like, but eventually you'll get back to where you were. And I guess to some extent, I do kind of believe that, actually. That's true. And I think that that's what we're trying to lay in people's paths, is that the idea that children are the secret door to happiness is uh -huh. bonkers and completely insane. And if you believe that, and listen... I'm a person who, I've said this before, was fairly ambivalent about having children. There are people who, I was ambivalent about getting married, I was ambivalent about having children. I was not the person who was like, I've had a book with pictures of my wedding dress since I was a kid. I was sort of like, eh, take it or leave it, the whole thing. <laughs> Similarly with children, I didn't have my kids' names picked out. I mean, I was always sort of like, eh, we'll see what happens. So maybe for me, I had a different point of origin on like, I'm going to have kids and it's going to be amazing. The expectations are the problem. Yeah. My expectations were pretty low. Yeah. So too late because almost everybody listening is a parent. So you already had your expectations, right? Yeah. Sorry, guys. But it is. It's the gap. Jean Twenge says that parents might believe that it's their fault when the transition to parenthood is difficult rather than seeing it as something that everybody experiences. Well, and this is the flip side of like the Instagrammable life that we all live in now. Yes. What was I just listening to? Something completely random. 
I mean, this is how my mind works. I was listening to a true crime podcast about a family that was killed and the contents of the kid's stomach was veggie pizza. And do you know what I thought to myself? My kids would never eat veggie pizza. (laughs) And I'm like, what am I doing to myself? Like I'm comparing, I'm listening to this like tragic story of family gone wrong. Don't find yourself in this story. Yeah. And I'm still finding a way to blame myself for bad parenting, you know? And it really, I had to check myself before I wrecked myself, Amy, because I thought there is sort of this thing where I think I'm not doing it as well as other people. I'm not as into it as I should be. But objectively, I'm part of a happy family. My kids are cool. I'm liking it. Are we knocking it out of the park? We're not, Amy. We're not knocking it out of the park. You know, we're not speaking 10 languages. We're not playing travel sports. But are you happy? Yeah, I think we're pretty happy. So there you go, right? And travel sports might make you happy and they might not. But I think if they did make you happy, you would probably be doing them. And I just think that it's not in my DNA on some fundamental level to chase that particular boulder. I don't know. I mean, I I can't imagine. I mean, as I talked about in the podcast earlier, I had a kid who was pretty good at gymnastics and my whole inner monologue was like, oh no, what if this kid is really good at gymnastics and like I have to help him go to the Olympics? That would be my nightmare come true. And like, could he have maybe gone to the Olympics if we'd, you know, all gotten in on it? Maybe, but that's just not who we are. And that's okay too. I think... Whether it's your sort of your relationship or your trip to Disney World, that, you know, the same rules apply to find happiness, which is to communicate and to plan ahead of time how things are going to go and to be aware that it's not supposed to be your trip to Disney World is going to be amazing. It will not be every second of it the most glorious thing you ever had. Do you want to know the fun thing about that that is true in the study? Yes. Your happiest set point of your vacation that's far in advance is the night before you go. Is the planning. Yeah. And it doesn't mean you have a bad time on vacation. It's just you're not any happier when you're there than you were three days beforehand. You will be in line for two and a half hours for, you know, the Peter Pan ride and your kids will be complaining and you're going to be like, why did we do this? And then in another 10 years... You're going to be like, you know, what was one of the most happy memories of your childhood is when we all went to Disney World because memory distortion takes effect and you only remember the high points and you look back and you're going to see that mom pushing the stroller and you're going to want to say to her, cherish every moment. It goes by so fast, but you're not going to. Oh, you'll forget these days at Disney World. But right. like, thank God you will, because they'll just bl- I've said before on the podcast, this sermon that I heard after 9-11 that said, Life is the back of a tapestry, like the confusing threads, and heaven is walking around the front and looking at the picture. And I feel like that is sort of what your memories do for you. Like, you're on the backside of the tapestry, and then 10 years later, you see the picture in a very different way. You know, like that craziness of discord while you're in it becomes kind of like, because even before I walked up to that house, I was like, I'm driving over to revisit that great place. And it wasn't until I was standing in front of the house that I got the bad feeling. Like, 
even though I talk objectively now about those years being difficult, when I actually remember them, I have a certain haze of happiness with like, oh, remember the kids were dressed as firemen and the baby was their little Dalmatian. Like I remember the warm and good parts, even though I objectively know that the bad parts were bad. (laughs) Yeah, you were behind the tapestry then and now you're looking at the front of it. I think that's why we have kids. We have kids because we want the tapestry to look like something to go back and be like, look what we did. Yeah. And I was recently speaking to a friend of mine who doesn't have kids and they were saying, I think they were very kind of like uh, on the fence about it and kind of, yes, am I robbing myself of the full human experience? And we were kind of having the conversation of like, what is it like over there on your side of the door? You know, is there happiness over there that I'm missing out on on my side of the door? And in the course of the conversation, I feel like we both kind of came to the point of, I mean, it is very corny and there's no place like home, but like there is no door ever. There's never a door. There is no door that leads to life. And you didn't go through it and neither did anybody else. You didn't miss the door. Nobody's gone through the door. You're not so stupid you can't see the door or so broken you don't have a door. Amy, I'm going to lay a little Rainer Maria Rilke on you. Okay. My favorite poem in the world, and we can link to it in the show notes, is called Go to the Limits of Your Longing. I have it hanging on my wall at home. And it is a beautiful poem. And the last line of it is, nearby is the country they call life. (laughs) You will know it by its seriousness. (laughs) And that's the key to it. Like, if you are engaged in a serious pursuit, Mm. you are in the country they call life. And that doesn't necessarily involve having kids. But that is what I believe to be true. And it doesn't necessarily involve being happy. Certainly not every moment. It doesn't. That's not why we were having them in the first place. No. So I guess, yeah. No. The call is to go to the limits of your longing. The call is not to have kids or not to have kids. Love it. Solved it. Yeah. I'm going to put a link to this poem. It's a game changer for me. I have it hanging in my kitchen. I love that. All right. I got something out of this conversation for sure. I dare say we solved it. (laughs) Right. Kids are not the key to happiness, but listen, have them if you want. We did. It's going fine. (laughs) I guess. (laughs) That's a solve. Friends, if you also want to go to the limits of your longing, you should rate and review our podcast. I'm not exactly sure how those things connect, but I know it's the right thing to do. Yeah. If you're enjoying listening, leave us a rating and review. It helps us find new listeners. And by the way, Toddler Purgatory. Also, if you've been listening to their show and enjoying it, give them a rating and a review because it really helps a new show grow. Yeah, they're a new show. So super important for them. We're an old show. Also super important for us. (laughs) Ratings and reviews. Yes, it would make us happy. And with that, guys, thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you next time. So long. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, 
tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Margaret, it's an exciting news day. An exciting news day indeed, Amy. A few years ago, we launched our first spinoff podcast, Toddler Purgatory, hosted by the hilarious Blair Brooks and Molly Lloyd. And guess what? Now, Blair and Molly are back with their all-new podcast, Unsticking It. You know Blair and Molly as two busy moms and actors, and somewhere between potty training and the pandemic, they both felt like they lost their creative kaboom. In their new podcast, Unsticking It, they are going to talk about how all of us can get back to what lights us up after motherhood. Amy, I need this. Me too. And Blair and Molly will be talking to fellow imaginative minds. We're talking actors, artists, and creators of all kinds about how we can all unstick ourselves from whatever muck we're stuck in. Follow, subscribe, and listen to Unsticking It wherever you get your podcasts. That's Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life stucks.